Thank you for joining us today. My name is Fritz Wood, and I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Jesse Bunsey. Jesse's a financial advisor who spends his days working through and having conversations with people about the things that we're going to talk about today. So, Jesse, welcome. Thanks for having me today. I look forward to answering some questions and just being able to share some of my thoughts. Let's start just at the top here. The kind of overall theme here is who are the people I should have in my life who are in a position to give me good, solid advice on things professional. So as you think about that, who are the professionals that you would recommend someone be talking to and when? That's a great question. Really, I think that there's four major categories, and there's probably some subcategories within all of those, but I think that talking to a financial planner, CPA or other you know, tax professional, insurance professionals, whether that be property and casualty insurance or life and disability and other types of insurance, and then also legal professionals, such as estate planning attorneys. So it sounds like four big categories, some legal help, some insurance help, some tax help, and some financial planning help. So you're of the opinion in this day and age when somebody can quickly and easily go online and push a few buttons and produce their tax return, you think there's wisdom and value in hiring a professional CPA or tax preparer. Is that right? I do. And really to kind of start that off with an example, I have talked with a lot of CPAs just through what I do, and a lot of CPAs have told me that they have other CPAs or tax professionals do their own tax returns at the end of the year. And I can say personally, while I could probably get online and get it pretty close by doing it myself, I choose to hire a CPA and each and every year, there's something that he finds that adds some value or perhaps protects us, my wife and I, in some way. And so I think that, especially when you compare the cost, I mean, some people pay a couple hundred dollars to get their taxes done when they do most of the work themselves. And, you know, there's different CPAs have different rates, but oftentimes it's not as much as people think. Specific to young veterinarians, there's a lot of different things that you guys have going on, one of which being student loans, that you can certainly get some value by making sure that you do your taxes right. I would totally agree with that. My experience is exactly consistent with yours that while I'm a CPA and uh, was married for 25 years to a CPA, we hired CPAs to do our taxes every year. And that's because we chose not to spend our time in the tax law, just like not every veterinarian is an equine surgeon, not every accountant is a tax accountant. And like you, Every year, there's at least one or two things that I'm perfectly sure I would have overlooked or an opportunity I would have missed. So let's talk about another category here that you mentioned. That's financial planner, and hopefully our audience is on guard here because, quite frankly, neither of us are very proud of this industry. It has a well-deserved, slimy reputation. And can you help clarify this, Jesse? Are there financial planners out there you might find that are trustworthy? How would you go about doing that? Sure. I think something that's very important for everyone to look at whenever they are seeking out a financial advisor is, is this advisor a fiduciary? In other words, are they legally required to act in my, as a client, best interest, or might they not be legally required to do those things? And it's certainly something that those of us on the fiduciary side of things 
bring up in conversation with clients, but it's also something that if someone is not a fiduciary, they're not likely to bring it up. You do need to ask. Just to interrupt you here quickly, Jesse, because I just have to reiterate this point, I think, for importance, that I talk to people every day who are surprised, shocked, dismayed to learn that this person that they've been working with, in some cases for years or decades, is not required by law to put their interests first. In fact, it's illegal for them to put their own interests ahead of the client's interests. Most people, that is a extraordinary unpleasant surprise to. It's definitely not a question that one would think you'd need to ask. It just seems like it's the right thing to do, and a lot of people make assumptions, but it's definitely something that's important to ask. And then we talked a little bit about this when we were talking about CPAs and tax professionals, but as a financial planner myself, my wife and I, have hired someone to be our financial planner. And I think that finding someone who can help you and your spouse to walk through all of the different decisions that you have to make and be not just a sounding board, but someone who also can provide wise counsel and help to walk you through decisions is definitely a very good thing to have. And so when you're looking, it's important to find out, is this person that I'm talking with truly going to help be for lack of a better word, my financial life coach, or are they going to focus much more on the tools of financial planning like insurance and investments? And I think that's an important distinction to make. Is this person engaged in helping people to make a lot of wise financial decisions? And then also knowing how they're compensated. There's certainly nothing wrong with various different methods of compensation, but it is important to know how financial planner is compensated so that you can have a better idea of if they're making recommendations that are in your best interest or, as you said earlier, in their own. So is it appropriate for someone to have these conversations with a financial professional, even if they're, you know, maybe earlier in their life and career and they have not yet amassed significant assets or wealth? I think so, and I would even go so far as to say that it might make sense to start to have these conversations in the last year of vet school. In many cases, spouses are already working, and so there's a lot of moving pieces that are already happening, but it definitely does not pay to wait since most of the discussions and decisions that you would be making are ones that are going to have ripple effects all throughout the rest of your life. Well, and just reiterate again your point from earlier, and this is not rehearsed, but I think Jesse may know, I also hire a certified financial planner. I mean, it, you know, it makes sense to go through life talking about important issues and decisions with people across the table from you who are partners in conversation, people who, you know, you trust completely and, again, have your best interests at heart. So I think the key, if I had a key takeaway to summarize that section, is this notion of fiduciary. Jesse, if I, that's kind of my key takeaway, that if you're going to engage someone to help you with this, you have to have someone who's looking out for your best interest. They have to be a fiduciary. And let's move on to investment, or I'm sorry, insurance professionals. What kind of coverage do you think everyone needs? And what kind of coverages do you think are more optional, Jesse? Well, I think that probably the most important thing for a young veterinarian to look at is, first, disability insurance. It's something that most people, when they think about disability, they think about getting in a car accident or breaking a leg or something of that sort. 
but there, I mean, really there's a lot of different things that can cause a young and perfectly healthy person to miss work. And even if it's for a relatively short amount of time, that can really wreak havoc on your financial plan. You also need to understand how federal student loans interact with, you know, if you became disabled or if you passed away in the case of life insurance. And I think really that disability is something that everyone who's working should be looking at and making sure they're adequately covered. Secondly, life insurance is something that's important to look at, especially at a younger age in life. It's very frequent that, or I mean, it's almost universal that term insurance is going to be the best option for a young person. If you, for instance, have purchased a house or gotten married and have kids, those are oftentimes life change moments where it's important to take a look at life insurance coverage if you need it and also to take a look at your coverage amount at those different life phases as well. Let me interrupt real quick, Jesse. My advice, someone told me a long time ago, and I don't know, you know, these rules of thumb are never quite accurate, but someone once told me that two things about disability insurance. Number one, you can never have too much because they won't sell you too much. You know, they want you to be heavily incentivized to return to work as soon as possible. And number two is, you know, buy as much as they will sell you. You know, you have to prove your income, and you can only buy a percentage of your income to cover. So, you know, disability is one of those you don't have to worry about having too much because you can't have too much, and you probably are better off buying as much as as they uh, will sell you. Totally agree with you on the term life insurance. I think that's absolutely the way to go. Do you recommend for young people – Jesse, annually renewable term, or do you tend to recommend the period certain, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 year term insurance? Which of those do you prefer? I pretty much universally recommend period certain term insurance that you mentioned. It's usually pretty easy to project how long someone's going to have a life insurance need. And of course, if that changes with time, adjustments can be made. But the price of term insurance right now, the fact that you can get 30-year and even longer, in some cases, term insurance where you've locked in a premium is definitely the way to go. But if you had to err, you would err on a longer term, not a shorter term. Yes, absolutely. I mean, as people progress through life and their life insurance needs change. As you build assets and pay off debt, your life insurance over time need will likely go down. And it's a lot easier to let go part of a policy or all of a policy than it is to try to go get more insurance down the line. It's oftentimes far more expensive. What about health insurance? I don't think you've mentioned that one yet. That is something that your employer does not offer We know now that you're penalized if you do not get some sort of health insurance in place. For a lot of young people, I see a lot of high-deductible health plans with an HSA or a health savings account attached to it, and that can be a very good option because the premium is less, and you have the opportunity then to put money in on a pre-tax basis to pay for medical expenses. But it is important to also think about with these higher deductibles, do I have that amount of money set aside to be able to cover the deductible if something big does happen to me? And a lot of smaller companies may not have that as an option. They may have only one option that they provide for health insurance, and in that case, the decision is kind of made for you. Yeah, the high-deductible policies today really require that people – have an adequate emergency fund to be able to pay that in the event 
that some sort of an event occurs. A couple others that I think are important for veterinarians, you know, I encourage veterinarians to buy the maximum amount of professional liability insurance available through the ABMA, including the license protection coverage, which I think is increasingly important today. And the other is I think these young professionals or really veterinary professionals of any age probably need something in excess of the standard property and casualty insurance. You know, I tend to think anyone that has initials after their name, anyone that has advanced schooling, anyone with a graduate degree probably is a target in the event that they cause harm to someone or someone is harmed as a result of their actions in their car or in their home or on their property. And so I would tend to recommend umbrella coverage, which is something you can just talk to your homeowners or your car insurance company about. It tends to be sold in increments of one million, and that's just extra liability coverage. So if you're in a car accident and you're at fault, this is a million dollars, let's say, of coverage beyond your traditional car policy. Is there anything else on insurance professionals that you're thinking of that we need to cover here, Jesse? No. The only other thing that I was kind of thinking is since we talked about insurance for a while, I mean, it's something that's important. How do you balance paying insurance premiums with other important things that people have going on like debt repayment and living expenses and saving. And I think it's very important to, from the outset, to set a firm foundation. There's only so much risk that you can transfer to an insurance company. And once you've done that, you've really done all that you can from a risk management perspective. Yeah, I tell you, when I think of financial priorities, being adequately insured and transferring these risks to insurance companies is at least number one or number two on the list. You know, it's among the most important things you'll ever do. These are things that are not likely to happen, but if they did, the financial game is over. So you just have to be able to sleep at night knowing those risks are transferred. You know, one of the things we should point out are, are, are there kinds of insurance maybe that I would not need? And three that come to mind immediately for me are creditor sold insurance. So, for example, if you buy a home, the mortgage company, the company that loans you money to buy the home, will try to sell you, you know, life and disability coverage and just rest assured that that's horrible coverage, maybe five or ten times as expensive as competitive policies. Sometimes I see people buy disease-specific coverage. You need health coverage against every disease, not just some of them. I think permanent life insurance, which goes under the name of whole life or universal life or variable life, I think those are all coverages that I think you could absolutely do without. Can you think of anything else on that front, Jesse, other sort of insurances that you see that people tend not need? I think you pretty much covered it, and I would just add the caveat, you know, with any insurance decision, it's very, very important to make sure that you understand how it fits with your particular situation. There's always situations where maybe one of the insurances that you mentioned might be appropriate. I will say specifically with what I see working with young people very often is it's typically someone who does have or is looking at a permanent policy. And in many cases, it's not the best option for them. In fact, I would go so far as to say in most cases. But it's very important to be able to have that discussion with your financial advisor or insurance professional to understand exactly how it fits into your particular financial plan and what it is intended to do. Jesse, let's turn to a category that a lot of people don't think they need, and that is some sort of legal help. Why might a younger person solicit some sort of legal professional? 
I'd say the most common reason revolves around young families. It's very important to get a will in place, to get powers of attorney in place, even just on husband and wife. It's interesting in the world we live in that there are some situations where a husband might not be able to make some decisions for his wife if she's incapacitated. And those are just really best done by a professional. There's a lot of free or very low expense ways out there, but having a professional provide that service for you is very important. Yeah, I think certainly neither of us are are lawyers, but a will, for example, I think is the only document where a parent can legally appoint a guardian. So if you don't do that, if you've got a young child, young children, and, you know, something were to happen to you, then the court would make that decision. Most people prefer to have that lined out ahead of time. Healthcare, power of attorney, financial power of attorney, you know, you just appoint someone else to stand in your shoes, and they have the legal standing that you would have to make decisions financially or healthcare-wise. And then also, certainly anyone with children would need a will. Anyone that's over the age of 18 should appoint someone who can stand into their shoes financially and from a health care perspective. So that's your health care power of attorney or financial power of attorney. And then finally, it's important that you make your wishes known in a document called living will or health care directive. And that's a document where you set forth what things you would want or what things you would want withheld in terms of things like oxygen and feeding tube and things like that. And all of us know that you do the world a big favor if you make your wishes perfectly clear and well-known in advance. And I think those are important things for anyone that's reached the age of majority. So if you're 18 or older, I think these are important things. And one thing about each of these documents is that they're state-specific. So I think there is value in having a lawyer who's done this before and is licensed to practice in the state that you reside in. Absolutely. So I appreciate everybody's time and attention today. Thank you, Jesse, for your contributions. And we welcome you to join us in the next podcast where we discuss, from a financial perspective, some of life's major events. Thanks again. Thank you. Look forward to it.